Well, I guess we'll go ahead and get started. It's 1.30. What time am I supposed to be done here? Is it? Uh, 2.15? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's go ahead and pray and we'll dive into the Word of God together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the stage you've given to us. I thank you for this opportunity to speak to these men and these young men. And uh, I pray that you would uh, fill me with thy spirit to help them this morning uh, and this afternoon to uh, be more like you. And I pray that uh, you would take us and help us to stand for truth, but stand with grace and mercy. And all this we do ask in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles this afternoon and go with me to the book of John. John chapter number one. John chapter number one. Have you all enjoyed the session so far? Yeah. I was, we could have gone home after that first one. I tell you what, with Brother Han, and spoke to my heart, pricked me at the same time, convicted me, and uh, praise God for it. But uh, I was looking forward to coming and being a part of this, but not speaking. I was looking forward to coming and hearing. So I've got to go back and listen to everybody else's session afterwards. But. Uh, he gave me, or he called me, and asked me to uh, preach along the lines of standing for truth. But how do we stand for truth in the day and age in which we live? What's the manner in which we're to stand? And that's with grace and mercy. And uh, in John chapter one, verse one is where we'll begin. We'll read down through verse number seventeen. Uh, I, I want to speak on that subject or that topic of standing, but we're going to find a phrase, and that is full of grace and truth. Amen. You cannot have one without the other. We must have both at the same time. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. This, what I'm going to try to do, as I did earlier this morning, is I'm going to try and give you a summary. And then I'm going to give you scenarios that we're dealing with as the people of God concerning this standing for truth, but standing with grace. And then hopefully at the very end, I'll give you some solutions to that and how we can do so. Uh, God's people, uh, unfortunately, we have frittered away the blessings of God because we have misappropriated the grace of God and we have turned the truth of God into a lie. Uh, for the people of God, truth, and I hope that I, as we understand this morning that the truth that we're speaking about 
The truth is the word of God. Truth is not an option for the people of God. Truth is not an opinion. It is the word of God. And the truth for the people of God that we find is only found in an open Bible. We are dealing with much in our culture today in America, but we're going about dealing with it the wrong way because we're dealing with it with a bunch of closed Bibles. Amen. We have such a knee-jerk reaction to some things, and we may have the truth, but in dealing with people with the truth, so often we don't have the grace that needs to go with that truth. And the most valuable commodity, yes, the most valuable commodity that we have, we know, is the truth. Because without it, we can't know how to come to know Christ. We can't know how to live for Christ. We must have the truth. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 23, buy the truth and sell it not. Why? Because the truth of the Lord endureth forever. His truth endureth to all generations. It's by mercy and truth iniquity is purged. Yet we live in a day and time where we are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Where truth is fallen in the street, where truth faileth, where truth is perished, where there is no truth. And it doesn't end in the political arena. It doesn't end in the social and the economic arenas. It has spilled over into the religious circle. It's coming into our churches. And so many come to the house of God where the preacher is to seek to find out acceptable words, even words of truth. But what has become so often the case, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, has become void and destitute of the truth. The man of God is no longer rightly dividing the word of truth. He's sold out. He's capitulated to the devil's crown. He's no longer standing, having his loins girt about with truth, but he's sitting on the stool of compromise so as to have more people in the pews. People come by the droves, not being able to discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. They worship they know not what. For the sake of a religious experience, they end up worshiping and serving the creature more than the creator, not realizing that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now up until this point, I have used 28 references of scripture. Whether you understood that I was preaching truth or opinion, you wouldn't know unless you have an open Bible. How do you know when your pastor is standing before you in the pulpit that he's speaking truth or whether he's speaking his own opinion? Now, I hope that you have a pastor that does speak the truth, that does preach the word of God. But it's not enough for you to come Sunday morning and Sunday night and a Wednesday night and say, well, I got all I need for today. I have all the truth I need for this week. No, God has a truth for you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday throughout the week. Because you are going to have people that he's going to place in your life that you're going to have to speak the truth to. But you're going to have to speak the truth in grace. Instead of rejoicing in the truth, being guided by the spirit of truth, being sanctified by the truth, speaking the truth in love, we find ourselves living in a a woke, postmodern, moral relativism culture that we dare to ask the same question that Pilate posed. 
with the Lord Jesus Christ standing there before him, who just has gotten done saying, I have come to give the truth. Pilate says, what is truth? But yet we have people that call themselves Christians with closed Bibles or sometimes even open Bibles, and they still ask the question, what is truth? What is truth? And instead of turning to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, we resist the truth, we turn our ears away from the truth, and sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. Therefore, we find ourselves damned because we believed not the truth. But here's the good part. Inner grace. You see, the Bible says here in verse 17, for the law was given by Moses. The law shows us that we are sinners. The law shows us that we have, uh, have broken uh, the, the righteousness and the holiness of God, that we are condemned. That's what the law does. It's all truth. And that's enough for us to know that we deserve hell, that we have, cannot get to heaven on our own. But then you have the grace of God. And the grace of God reaches down past the truth and pulls us up out of that muck and the mire of our sin and places us in righteousness and justification before God. And I thank God for that grace. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus, the Word, was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And you can stand in the presence of God justified and forgiven today of your sin because of the grace of God. But you cannot know the grace of God without the truth. Amen. You cannot come by the truth of the gospel without the grace of God. And you cannot come by the gospel of the grace of God without the truth of God. That's why Jesus said in the book of John, John chapter 8 here, verse number 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. For where sin doth abound, grace did much more abound. It's this grace wherein we stand, having believed the truth that our sin separated us from a thrice holy God, that Jesus, the Son of God, paid the sin debt for us, and that through his blood we have the forgiveness of sins. His death, his burial, his resurrection secured our pardon because, as it says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the, uh, as of the Father, uh, full of grace and truth. Therefore, we must be full of grace and truth as the people of God. In that verse there, you see a parenthesis in your Bible that's placed there. That parenthesis is around the phrase, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now, who's writing this book? Under the inspiration of God, we understand God is the author, but who's the human penman writing this book? John is. John is the one that the Bible tells us was the beloved of the Lord. We find him at least three times leaning on Jesus' breast. We know that he is one of the triumvirate, if you will, of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he was there. He beheld the glory. And here he's giving us this eyewitness account that he has beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. The glory here is that Shekinah glory, that glory that rested on the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And when the God would come down and he would rest there, the people would see that cloud. They would see the glory of God. They would know God is here. God is with us. If you go over to England, you'll find 
that the royal family, the kings and the queens, they have many places that they can live. They have residences. They have Windsor Castle. Uh, they have uh, Balmoral Castle. They have Buckingham Palace, um, Sandringham, all these different places that they can go and they can reside in. And when they go there and they're in residence there, they run up a standard up the flagpole above that residence that shows to all the people around the royal family, the king, the queen is here. And John here, he says, look, the glory of God, God himself has robed himself in flesh and he's here. And the standard that's waving above him for all to see is that he's full of grace Amen. and truth. Amen. And for us as Christians, we need to raise that standard high so that people can see that we as men are not just full of truth, but we're full of grace. And we're not just full of grace, but we're full of truth as well. Right. Grace and truth is the sum total of divine revelation. Grace is that love and compassion of God. Amen. Truth is that light and the convictions that we get from the light being shown to us, the truth of God. In this one chapter, John, I believe it's nine or eleven times, he gives us different names of, of the Lord Jesus. The Word, the Light, uh, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Son of Man. He's giving us a, a, a revelation of, of Christ, who is full of grace and truth. And as the people of God, we must stand with conviction, bathed in compassion. Amen. That's the summary of what we're looking at. The scenario that we're dealing with, though, is that we find ourselves too often with one of two problems. We go to the workplace, we go to school. We go home, even within our church. We deal with the compassion of having conviction, or we deal with the problem of having conviction without compassion, truth without love, or truth without grace. Or we deal with the other extreme, and that is we deal with compassion without conviction. We deal with love and grace with no truth. And both of them are, are wrong. Right. If you have convictions without compassion, if you have truth without grace, it only brings about contempt from others. You may know the truth. You may know the right thing to say. You may know the, 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 the right words. You may be able to turn. You may know this book inside and out, forward and backwards. But as the saying goes, no one cares how much you know unless they know how much you care. And there's a lot of people that come through the doors of our churches or we meet them in public and they are looking for truth. And we may have the truth but we don't have the compassion to go with the truth. Right. We're not full of grace and truth. We're only waving half of our standard. Right. But then on the flip side of that, the more dangerous side of that, because I'd much rather have a person that's full of truth and full of conviction and knowing what the Bible says and not have the compassion because you can help teach that person how to love people and how to, how to care for people and how to have the compassion of God than to have the flip side of that coin, which we're dealing mostly with in our society today, and that is having all compassion and no truth. Well, your truth and my truth. No, there's not many truths. There's one truth. That's the Word of God. We say as Christians that the Word of God, the Bible, is our final authority for faith and practice until it comes time to put it into practice. And then it becomes, well, you don't know the scenario I'm dealing with. No, I know what the Word of God says. We don't change the Word of God to deal with the scenario. We come to the Word of God to find out how to deal with the scenario. Compassion 
Without convictions, grace without truth only brings about compromise with error. It only brings about confusion with the gospel. It only brings about confession without profession of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're living in times of crisis, no doubt. I mean, there's crisis in the family. There's crisis in the workplace. There's crisis in the community. There's crisis in our nation. But it's in these times of crisis that the Bible tells us in 3 John, who, again, was the writer of the book that we're looking at right now, that we're to be fellow helpers to the truth. So how do we be fellow helpers to the truth? How do we come to these times where we have to be full of grace and truth and how do we keep ourselves from bringing all conviction and no compassion or all compassion with no conviction the solution is in the course of chaos the culture needs to hear christ i've got two young people right now that are in our church this is the type of groups that i enjoy teaching and preaching to are, are men and teenagers uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the men in my life who took the time to, with truth and grace, give me the word of God. And uh, so I enjoy this, these, these group settings like this. and I enjoy the particular people that we have in here. But I have two young people that I get, I get to be the youth pastor at our church, too. So I, I wear both those hats. And it's fun for me. It's a lot of work, but it's, it's, it's fun. And I've got a 16-year-old and a 17-year-old who they have grown up in different homes, broken homes. Their boyfriend, girlfriend. Their parents could care less about them. Most of the time they're on drugs or in, in prison. They've got two grandmothers that try to do their best with them, but they're widowed. And most of the time they live about a mile apart, but they live with either one grandmother or the other grandmother. They just bounce back and forth. And the grandmothers are doing the best that they can, but they, they, they are frazzled. They're at their wit's end. And these two young people have gone from church to church in our area looking for truth. Right. No one invited them to our church. They didn't hear anything about our church, but they came through the doors of our church about two and a half months ago. And after the first service, these are the words of this young man. He looked at his girlfriend. He said, this is the place we need to be. Amen. Not because I'm something. But because God has placed an innate desire in our hearts to know him, to know the truth. But they had been to every other church and they said so many of them were just a rock and roll concert. They gave a bunch of self-help. There was no Bible. They knew enough to know that if they were going to get the truth, they needed to go someplace where the Bible was preached. Amen. And you say, well, I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher to know this book. How do you expect to know God without going to the Word of God and finding out what the Bible has to say about God? And if you're going to stand for truth, and you're going to stand with, for truth with grace, then you need to get into this book. Amen. They've been coming faithfully. They've been eating it up. They've been, been enjoying it. But they have that desire. And the only thing that has kept them is they found a place where multiple people spoke the truth in love. That's the solution. Speak the truth in love. And live the truth. Amen. It's not enough just to speak the truth. You have to live the truth in every aspect of life. And you have to be willing to die for the truth. Because living for the truth is not always going to be comfortable. <clears throat> if you want a comfortable Christianity and a comfortable Christian life, then close your Bible and do what you want. Right. But if you want a life that's going to please the Lord then you're going to have to be willing to stand before a pilot who's asking what is truth with a crown of thorns upon your head, so to speak, with stripes upon your back, 
willing to go to a cross and die for your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was the truth in the flesh, the Word of God. Speak the truth in love. Speak with compassion, not cruelty. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. We got some young men in here that more than likely are not married yet. You're not married yet, right? Got a girlfriend? Not old enough to have a girlfriend. No, that's right. Keep shaking your head no. But one day, you're going to find the most beautiful girl in the world. And you're going to go goo-goo-ga-ga for her. And you're going to fall head over heels for her. And you're going to look at her and say, wowzas. I'm going to marry that girl. And you're going to marry her. And you're going to wake up one day and you're going to roll over. And you're going to see a bunch of matted hair and running makeup and drool coming out of the corner of her mouth and bad breath. And you're going to think to yourself, what in the world did I marry? She's not the same person that I remember marrying. When I got married, I'm not the same person that my wife married. When we got married, I weighed a whopping 125 pounds soaking wet. I wore a size 29 pant. I used to go shopping in the extra large boys because it was cheaper than buying the small men's. And my wife said, man, we got to fatten you up. You're too skinny. And she's done that. She cooks well, and I appreciate it. I like it. I'm not the same person that I was when I first got married. I'd like to think I've grown into the man and the husband that she hoped I would be. But there comes times in our marriages, fellas, where we look at our wives and we think, that's not what I married. I don't like that about her. Death and life are the power of our tongue. So often what we don't like and what we see in our wives that we wish we could change, it's because of our fault. We didn't speak the truth in love. Oh, you may have been right. You may have won the argument, but what did it cost you? Because you were cruel. Your children, the Bible says that fathers not to provoke their children to anger. That doesn't mean that you can't get on to them. That doesn't mean that you can't correct them. That doesn't mean that you don't speak the truth. That doesn't mean that you don't discipline them. I've got three girls, though. Uh, That was a whole new revelation to me. I mean, I'd never dealt with girls other than my wife. She was the first girlfriend I ever had. We got married. God gave us three girls. Bless God, I was going to train them just like I knew how to train them from the Word of God. And I mean, I had the truth, but my wife had to help me to learn some compassion, to learn some grace, to realize you can't treat a girl just like a guy. And, and God has helped me by using my wife to be the help meet for me, to help te- to keep, teach me some grace, to teach me some compassion. She's like, Jonathan, you, you, you got the right idea but you're going about it the wrong way she helped me i've had to learn how to speak the truth in love not with cruelty but with compassion and so many times people say well a soft answer turns away wrath just use soft words well soft words doesn't mean that it's devoid of truth right continue to speak the truth but speak it with compassion right speak with conviction not compromise my wife started using a word recently, and she was trying to use some positive reinforcement on our girls. And, and she wasn't, wasn't that she was putting away discipline, but she was trying to bring that along with the discipline. 
but she started using the word untruth. And she kept using it over and over again. She quit saying, she would tell them, quit speaking untruths. And I took her to the side and I said, honey, I said, stop using that word. She says, why? I said, because the Bible says it's a lie. Use biblical language. Even when you're dealing with your children or your wife or your people at your workplace or even in the church, use biblical language. Quit compromising and trying to dumb down the word of God. People understand what a lie is. It's a whole lot easier to spell. It's a whole lot easier to say than untruth. But we are trying to change the word of God so that we can say we have the liberty that we deserve. And she said, well, I wasn't trying. I said, I didn't say you were trying to do that. I know you didn't mean to do it on purpose. But if we're going to speak the truth in love to people, we have to speak the truth with conviction and not compromise on it. Speak the truth with consistency and not coldness. Speak the truth with composure, not contention. There's a phrase that came about during World War II that still is used today. Keep calm and carry on. Christians have become some of the most contentious people. I, I mean, really, if I would met some of them, I wouldn't want to go to their church. I wouldn't want to know their God, and I'm a Christian. But we can have the truth, but we need to speak the truth with composure. Be ye angry and sin not. Christ went into the temple, and yes, he flipped over tables, and yes, he said, you've made my house, uh, father's house a den of thieves, but he kept his composure. Uh, speak with courage and not cowardice. Speak with certainty and not confusion. The Bible tells us in James that uh, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And we have, as Christians, we have the word of God, and the people of God know the truths that are certain. The Bible is the word of God. That should be a truth that is certain to you this, yeah, this afternoon. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is a certain truth. Uh, Christ's way is the only way of salvation. That's a certain truth. Nail those things down. They're not up for debate. They're not up for discussion. Nail it down in your heart and soul. Get some conviction about it and, and say these are certain truths. Speak the truth of Christ, not culture. You know, if you're a preacher in here, I don't want to come to church. And I'm a pastor myself. I don't want to come to church to hear about everything that's gone on in the culture this week. I've already read the news. I've already listened to the radio. I've already seen the television, the Facebook, and the Instagram posts. I've seen it, heard it all. I want to know, where's the hope? The hope is in Christ. Get off your high horse and your hobby horses of the things that are rubbing you raw in culture and just realize that's what people do who are not full of grace and truth. Amen. And raise your standard up high so that they can see it and they can hear it and they can know that there's a Christ that died for them and loved them, that wants to deliver them. But when they come and all they hear is the same things that they've been hearing all week long and there's no new message, so to speak, there's nothing that can give them the hope that they're looking for. We wonder why they never come back. Right. It's not enough just to speak the truth, though. You have to live the truth in every aspect of life. And standing for truth, like I said, doesn't always lead to a comfortable life. But to live a life full of grace and truth, you must live a saved life. None of what I'm saying, none of this entire men's meeting this day, from any of these sessions will help you unless you live a saved life. Amen. Unless you come to know the one who is the way the truth, the life. 
He is the way for those who are lost. He is the truth for those who are in error. And he is the life for those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And if you're going to, if any of this is going to make sense to you, you have to live a saved life. But then if you'll go with me to John chapter 17, John gives us the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to jump into the middle of it in verse number 17. But we must not only live a saved life, you also have to live a sanctified life. Don't bother standing for grace and truth if you're not going to live sanctified. The Bible says in this prayer, as the Lord is praying, he says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. If you look at verse number 20, we find out that the Lord Jesus in this prayer, he prayed for you. And he prayed for me. He said, neither pray I for these alone. Who are these? The disciples right there around them. But for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Well, what's that word? It's the truth. It's the grace of God. And God left them in this world. We find here that they, they, their believers are saved out of the world, but they remain in the world. But the Bible says in verse 14, they are not to be of the world. And if you want to reach people where you're at, then you're going to have to live sanctified, right. separated, apart from this world. That doesn't mean you come out of the world. The Bible tells us in verse number 18 that God sends them back into this world as his representatives. Even so have I also sent them into the world. What for? Verse 21 says that the world may believe. Verse 23 says that the world may know that thou hast loved them. There are so many people that have darkened the door of our churches that have come across the pathway of our lives. They're going to die and go to hell because they did not know that God loved them because we did not live sanctified lives. It's our fault. My fault. Because I didn't stand for truth with grace. You can turn away people from the truth and from Christ just as much as you can be the one that Christ used to draw men unto right. himself. Right. In order to stand for truth, you must be sanctified through the truth. God wants the world to know that there's a God in heaven who loves them and wants them to be with him. But what happens when we come across that homosexual, that sodomite, Oh, we may have every Bible verse to back us up. 
Is that sin an abomination? It sure is. But the last time I checked the truth, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But you know, some of the most hateful people towards that crowd? Christians. The ones who have received the truth, who have received the grace of God, yet we won't stand for truth and stand with grace. We, I hope you're praying for the peace of Israel. But I wonder how many of you prayed for the salvation of the Palestinians. Oh, but they're the enemy of God. So were you and I before we were saved. That's the truth. The compassion, the grace is being willing to give your life to reach the Palestinian and the Jew. Not to be a respecter of persons. Right. God's not a respecter of persons. All of us in this room are saved by that same grace of God. Right. And we all heard of that same grace of God because of the truth of right. God. So live sanctified. Live saved. Lastly, live salty. Now, we had someone in this room the last time. And when I say salty, most of us, we think of uh, and forgive me if, you, if this is crude to you, but uh, we think of a salty old cuss. That's what you know, a lot of the times the, the world thinks of. Uh, just someone that's you know, been around the world, pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps, uh, and someone was sitting right here, and someone over here pointed at him. Uh, so I don't, know, I, 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 I don't have anyone in this room in mind when I say that. <laughs> and that's what a lot of times when we think of being salty, that's what we think of. But go with me to Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 13. Pastor Honda already alluded to this in his message this morning. Jesus Christ, in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, he says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? You ever poured salt on a piece of food and it didn't do anything? Maybe because it had gotten moisture in there and the savor was gone? What do you do? Just keep pouring more of it on? No, you toss it out, you find some new salt, and you use that. The Bible goes on to say here, it is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Christians are being trodden underfoot today because we're good for nothing. I don't say that to be unkind or cruel this morning, but we've lost our savor. We're no longer salty. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to being the people of God, God says, you're good for nothing. You're, you're, you're no use to me. You've got the truth. You've received my grace. You've, you've observed my glory full of grace and truth, but yet you won't live salty. You won't live sanctified. You won't speak the truth in love. And we do more harm for the cause of Christ than we help. Right. We need to quit seeking to win arguments in Facebook and Instagram and everywhere else and just seek to win souls. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. And He left us the great commission of taking the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who was full of grace and truth before us to a lost and dying world who doesn't have that.
but is looking for it, is searching for it. And they're finding things to fill that void in all the wrong places. It's already been said that salt is not antiseptic, but it's aseptic. It's a preservative. We're not here to fix the world. The world, the Bible tells us, the truth tells us that the world waxes worse and worse. It's not going to ever get better. But as long as we are here, we can stand for truth, but stand with grace. And we can hold back the onslaughts of the devil and the wicked one and the lies that he gives. And we can push back against it and we can stand having our loins girt about with truth. I noticed when Pastor Han was preaching this morning that there came a point in time where they were standing with their loins girt about with sackcloth. You know why they were girded about with sackcloth? Because they disobeyed the truth. And we're going to find ourselves where we're going to have a bunch of people standing with their loins girded about with sackcloth instead of the truth because we haven't been obedient to God and His Word. We haven't lived with compassion and truth. Salty Christians, Hugh Pyle said, make a thirsty world. I like salt on lots of things. I like salt on my french fries. I like salt on my steak. But too much, guess what I immediately go for? Something to drink. Water. Jesus says, if you'll just be salty, I'll be the living water that they need. But they'll never see it unless you stand for truth, but stand with grace. I have a a man that I know that I went to Bible college with. Uh, Two years in, he dropped out. He and I were very close. We did everything together. I I, I lived with him in the dorm, lived with him in a house during the summer that we rented together. Uh, Two years, he dropped out, and I began to hear whispers that he'd become a homosexual. And so I sent him an email and I said, hey, these things have been said about you. And he, in school, he was the biggest flirt. I mean, he chased after every girl in Bible college. He got in trouble multiple times with girls in Bible college. So in my mind, there's no way that's truth. So I sent him an email and said, hey, these things are being said about you. And I thought you should know because I know you better than that. And he wrote me back an email. He said, no, that is the truth. And uh, I have... Decide that's what I'm going to be and that's what I'm going to do. I emailed him back. I said, well, you know that I don't agree with that. You know the word of God's against that. You've grown up in the same type of church I grew up in. You sat under the same preaching at Bible college, same classes, same courses. You know the truth, but you're just rejecting it. I said, but if you ever need to talk, if you ever need to speak with someone about this, I'm here. And the door's always open. I got an email back from him. He said, thank you. He said, you're the only Christian that I know that hasn't cussed me out, called me names, or completely turned their back on me. I said, how did you get to the point where you go from being the biggest flirt to a sodomite? He said, I hung out with the wrong crowd. I made the wrong friends. 
He found a group of people that had no truth and they had no grace. And you want to know some of the meanest people? Is the sodomite crowd. The second meanest people? Christians. Who tried to win an argument with that crowd. Just speak the truth in love. He still keeps in touch with me from time to time. Out of the blue, he'll just send a message. Say, hey, how are you doing? I'm not close friends with him. But he knows there's at least one person in his life. That Lord willing, at some point down the road, he'll come to the realization he's in the wrong. And there's a place that he can go. He can find grace and truth. Who's God put in your life? that needs to see you walking and speaking truth in love. See Christ in you. The glory of God, full of grace and truth. I got four minutes left that they told me to leave if just a couple minutes in case anyone had a question. But anything that maybe I can help you with. I don't have the answers, all the answers, but I've got the word of God, the truth. We can go to it. Anything at all? What are your thoughts on We talk a lot about the truth and the truth is important, but we talk less about how to show grace. So what are your thoughts on how we should be showing grace? That's a good question. Have a conversation. We're horrible at conversating. We're good at stepping up onto a a pulpit and a a podium and preaching down to people. But how many times do you ever see Christ, he's always having a conversation with people. The woman at the well, having a conversation. Preaching is not always pointing a finger and blaring with a loudspeaker from a pulpit. Learn to have a conversation with people. Even with a woman committed adultery and was brought before the Lord Jesus, he had a conversation with all those Pharisees and Sadducees. And in that conversation, he not only exemplified grace, but he also exemplified truth. They were just trying to trap him. They could care less about that woman or the sin that she was committed Because they hadn't even brought the man that she committed it with. They were both supposed to die by the word of God. But under Roman law, the Jews could not carry out capital punishment. That was only for the Romans to do. They were just trying to trap Jesus. So Jesus said, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And the Bible says that from the oldest to the youngest, they turned around and walked away. Till it was just him and the woman there. And he knelt down and was writing and he stood up. And when he saw that everyone was gone, he looked at her and he said, go thy way and sin no more. He did not say that she was not a sinner, that she had done wrong. He actually said, you've done wrong, you have sinned. But then he gave her grace and said, go thy way and sin no more. He gave her forgiveness. But it all came about because of a conversation. And he was willing to compose. Don't you think Christ, I mean... If you and I had been there, I mean, we'd have been throwing stones back at them. But he just had a conversation with them and won her to himself. Had a conversation with the woman at the well, won her to himself. Had a conversation with Zacchaeus and won him to himself. Learn how to conversate with people who have a different idea of what the truth is. There's only one truth. But if we don't, if we don't have a conversation where we're not just giving our opinion where we actually listen to the other side, not so that we can commiserate with them and and, and be buddy-buddy with them, 
But you have to be able to listen first before you can give the correct truth back to them. So have a conversation, I would say. We're, we're, we're horrible at conversating. We're horrible with conversating in our own families. Really, we are. There's so many Christian families that I've dealt with as a pastor where a lot of things could have been taken care of, forgiven, not blown out of proportion if they had just sat down and with some compassion and grace talked it out, conversated, without yelling, keeping composure, not being contentious, but just speaking truth and love. Learn to say, I'm sorry, and you're forgiven. That's truth and grace. But good question. Anybody else? All right. Well, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for these men and these young men that are in here. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a group of people that first and foremost loves you, but then also loves the world that you gave yourself for. And help us as we live in this time of crisis that we find ourselves in with sin so rampant and with people creating their own truth. May we live with an open Bible before us, knowing what the truth is and speaking it and standing for it, but standing with grace as well. May we learn to talk to people with the love of God in our hearts and may we let you con condemn and may we just simply continue to sow the seed of the word of God. And all this we do ask in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.